Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a great episode here today with my friend, Dr. Tanasia Crocker. We are talking about interactions between general practice veterinary care and emergency veterinary care, and we're talking about it in the sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, what does it look like? What does it feel like when the GPs have too much work to do and they're giving it to the ER and the ERs have too much work to do and they don't have anywhere to give it back? And uh, how do we feel about each other? And how do we talk to each other? And how can we make this better? Guys, those are some of the things that we talk about today. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame. With Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tanesia Crocker. Thanks for being here. Uh, I I know you. I met you <laughs> when you accosted me outside of a bar in Orlando. Uh, it was um, I was leaving, and you said, "Hey, Rourke, I've got a beef with you." That's what I remember. I, I, it, it, that's a variation, but. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. No. And, and I will say that's how I've met a lot of friends in my <laughs> life was people who were like, I have a beef with you. And you took issue with, uh, you took issue with something that I had said about uh, TikTok. And you were like, you miss, you miss the, the advantages of TikTok and you miss the good that it can do. And uh, I honestly ended up thinking a little bit differently about TikTok after talking with you. And so I, uh, I am I'm very interested in the work that you're doing. Uh, so for those who don't know uh, Tanasia, she is uh, she's a practicing emergency veterinarian. She also has a very active social media presence. She's got almost 50,000 followers on Instagram. She's doing TikTok now for just about a month and she's got about 80 some thousand uh, followers on TikTok. She's just um, she's doing a lot of interesting work with social media. And guys, she's doing it in a really positive way. So Tanisha, the reason that I have really enjoyed getting to know you in, in the last probably six, eight months is um, the work that you do is good. And in, in that, you're positive about our profession. You're not using social media to crap on what we do or complain about how bad things are. You're actually out there talking about the things that you like and things that are actually helpful and, and things that might make other people enjoy our profession. And so I just want to start and say, well, first of all, thanks. Thank you for doing that. It's something obviously that I I care a lot about. And um, it's just refreshing to sort of see somebody out there who's doing emergency medicine and who's still determined to find the positivity in it and to present it to the world in a positive way. So thank you. I appreciate that because that's definitely the intention. When I first joined social media, it was literally because I was frustrated with everyone saying, you know, you shouldn't have become a veterinarian. Telling vet students they made a wrong decision. Like, can you imagine being in vet school and someone saying like, hey, wrong decision, you really messed up. And so uh, my message, I guess, resonated with people. And now I just get to have a lot of fun with it, really connect online with people, encourage them. And I don't sugarcoat anything. I mean, emergency work is hard. I talk about the realities of that, but try to bring it back to kind of the choices I've made that have made me still really, really enjoy and love it after 14 years and hopefully encourage other people to find their joy in this profession, which can be hard. Yeah, we've hit this weird tipping point in, in medicine talking to vet students. This, so this is 100% just, just my perspective of things that I've seen. And I think a lot of people are like, you know, vet students really need to, they need to understand the harsh realities of the choice they've made. And that might be true. But the truth is, <laughs> there's a lot of people who have had that idea and then they, they go to the vet students and they're like, this is going to be real hard. And if everyone's telling them it's great and one person tells them it's going to be hard, that's probably a good thing. But if everyone tells them how hard it's going to be, at some point, it's just soul crushing and not, 
and not helpful. And I feel like we have, in a lot of ways, have crossed over that line. Not to say it's not hard, but boy, I have seen instances where I really feel like vet students have just been pounded on for for months and months of people talking to them about how hard the profession is going to be. And at some point you go, Wait, let's also make sure that we're giving airtime to why we got into this and to, yeah. and to the good things about it, because there are good things about it. And so anyway, that's 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 sort of my, my take in talking to uh, to young doctors these days. I would agree. And we're not here to talk about this, but I would say, wouldn't it be great to give them ways that you've dealt with those difficult things and how you've kind of pushed through those hard times versus just saying, hey, you're going to be stuck there forever. Like, let's give them the resources to find the success and sustainability and not just say, nope, this is how you're going to feel. And when especially people talk a lot about the the tough clients, I will go to talks at vet schools and, and they'll say, how do you handle this? Oh, I'm so worried about this. And I will tell them I see, you know, a ton of people in the ER in a week. And I don't have those interactions 100% of the time. That is a very small percentage no. of those interactions in a very high stress, difficult time. So don't focus on that. Like, let's focus on all the things that you do good and all the great things that happen. And let's talk about gratitude and strategies versus let's focus on that one horrible client that happened in a three month time period. And that's where social media really that vocal minority that's telling them, yeah, it's going to suck. And you know, all the clients are horrible. It's just I don't know. It's really tough on him. So I'm glad that people like you and me are out there. And I heard a rumor that you might eventually be joining TikTok with me. And so maybe we'll spread the word even more. I you're thinking about it. I am thinking about (laughs) it. I I have some idea. I have an I have a notebook of things that I have been jotting. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do something just to do it. Like if I'm going to if I'm going to do something, it needs to be I need to be good in my own eyes. And I also have to approach it from a way where I go, I enjoy doing this. And this is this has value. And yeah. I have, I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time and just sort of kicking around. I have a little notebook of things I'd shot down where I'd say, I would be happy to do this or I genuinely think this would be helpful. And honestly, I think, I think you've been a piece of me getting more open to that idea of just because I see you and I go, nah, she's doing a good job. I got to say she's, she's doing a good job. And that, that makes me think like, okay, but this is, this may be a worthy problem to, to sit with for a while. And so, yeah, you've definitely moved me in that way, but I'm not making promises, but it's, it's on the radar. You know, the one, <laughs> The last thing I want to say on this is, uh, not on TikTok, on there's a healthy problem looks like this, like there's a problem. And then the first step is raising awareness about that problem. And then the second step is now that awareness has been raised, it is coming up with actionable, productive steps to take to manage or to treat said problem. And I feel like in the world of social media, Unfortunately, sometimes we get stuck in action step number one, which is raising awareness, where we raise awareness and we raise awareness and we raise awareness. But actually taking steps to do things in the real world, that gets lost on the way. And raising awareness gets a lot of attention, right? The things that drive attention Mm -hmm. are fear and anger. And uh, we can raise awareness with fear and anger, but fear and anger don't turn into productive action steps. And so I really, I really do think that you're absolutely right. I think we've done a good job of raising awareness of challenges of medicine and, and challenges to mental health. And that stuff is good and we should keep that. And at the same time, I think it's also very important that now while people are raising awareness, they transition to step two, which is here's what, here's some things that have been helpful to me. Not this is what you have to do, but let me share with you what has been helpful for me or lessons that I have learned. And I, I just, I think that's a positive place to be. All right, but that's not why you came here. Uh, it kind of is. Sorry. Things are hard. <laughs> oh, sorry, my dog's <laughs> so barking. Uh, they're, they're excited. So here's, 
why we're here because vet medicine is hard. And I want to talk to you about a specific aspect that I think is really challenging that I see again and again. And it's the interaction between general practice practices and emergency practices. And so I, I'll, let me tell you what I kind of see from my side on the, on the general practice side. Basically, a lot of our practices are overwhelmed. Uh, there's a general short fall in the amount of labor that we have, and that's in trained and untrained, uh, but I mean, uh, you know, licensed doctors and technicians and, and support staff. Um, all across the board, we're having worker shortages, and we have very, very high demand. And so there's a caseload that is not able to be met in the general practice, and they're referring that away to the emergency clinic. And so when I talk to these practices and they say, aha, I am overwhelmed and my staff is burned out, the answer is I need to refer these things away because we simply can't see them. And I completely agree, agree with that. Like if you cannot, you cannot see more than you can see. Like there, we all have a capacity. And if you push past it, there are very negative outcomes that happen, especially in the long term. And so that is true. Ultimately, where the conversation goes is I'm referring these guys to the emergency clinic and there's a six hour wait or an eight hour wait or our emergency clinic is not taking animals. What do we do now? And that's that's a hard question, but that's when I kind of want to start to unpack with you a little bit. So let me just let me sort of open up to you in that way and say when I when I tell that story, does that resonate with you? Is that kind of what you see? Do you have you come across that narrative? Definitely have seen that. And it's interesting because I've seen it from the general practicing veterinarians. I've also seen it from the local specialty clinics. So we will have specialty clinics call our emergency facility and say, what's your wait time? We have a packed room. Ours is this. Can we send people to you? And so it's not even between uh, general practicing vets and, and emergency clinics in general. It's everybody right now. And I think there's a little bit of a public Amazon effect. So, you know, more and more pet owners want really immediate results. Uh, they also have greatly changed the way they look at their pets and uh, what level of care they want for their pets. And so they're more likely to take them in quicker for things that maybe previously they would have waited uh, through the weekend to see their regular vet for, or they know their regular vet is already booked out two weeks and they're not going to see them. And so might as well go to the emergency clinic. I would say from my perspective, if an owner is concerned and they're willing to wait, whatever the wait time is, then I'm going to give them my full attention and I'm going to help them to the best of my ability, no matter why they're there. So if it's a broken toenail, if it's a they vomited once, I'm still going to try to help them in any way that I can because I've been that pet owner and I, you know, something happens with my pets and I can't even process it, right? Like another vet has to take care of it because my mind just, yeah. and so I put myself in their shoes and I want to help them, even if I feel like this probably isn't a true emergency, it's not a hemoabdomen, it's not a respiratory distress. Uh, so I think... We have to change a little bit perspectives on both sides. One, I would love to see the general practices train clients a little bit better that wait times are not a bad thing and what is a true emergency and not just use the ER as, I guess, a dumping ground a little bit for the things that they don't want to deal with. And then two, I think that as emergency veterinarians, we have to learn how to communicate that we still care and we want to help pets without making owners feel like they are silly for coming in or they are wasting our time because I don't think that's fair to them either. Sometimes they just don't know. And I, I like the phrase, assume sure. good intent, right? So. 
No, I, I, I definitely get that. I have, I have a buddy who tells a story uh, about he, he's not a, a vet person at all. And he, uh, his dog was reverse sneezing one morning and he came sprinting to my house and he was like, you saved my dog's life. And I was like, I didn't, I did not like, there was nothing urgency, <laughs> um, urgent emergency about any of this. But he was like, I don't care. I was terrified. And then I was not terrified anymore because you talked to me and you looked at my, and, I, and you told me everything was okay. And then it was okay. And so you did the magic. You did the thing. And I, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And it's interesting to think from his perspective. Yeah. Like that, that, knowledge that really matters. Tell me about uh, what constitutes, because this is an interesting uh, topic, what constitutes the feeling in the ER of a dumping ground? What, what, makes, what makes people at the ER feel that they're being treated that way? Because I want to I I unpack that a little bit and see what makes up that, what makes that, um, up that emotion. Uh, let me give an example. So we had uh, yeah. someone come in late two nights ago and they had been at the football game. They were... Um, a little, a little tipsy. They had had a really good time, but they came in, rushed in with their really young uh, golden retriever puppy. She was adorable. This puppy looked amazing. She looked great. She had been boarding while they were having a weekend at the football game. And apparently the boarding facility did a fecal and they sent mm -hmm. the owner a message afterwards that said, it's a positive fecal and you need to, you know, get it checked out. And so the owner called the regular veterinarian and it was a Saturday and the vet was like, you need to go to the emergency room. And this was a completely oh normal puppy that had no diarrhea, that was eating and drinking well. It could have waited until Monday, but they they freaked the yeah. owner out and they said, we'll just go to the ER, you know, like it, they'll take care of it. And we were a little surprised that they wouldn't at least, you know, get the fecal results, talk to them about it, maybe prescribe medications. Like maybe they, I mean, they already had a relationship with her and, but it was, it was the feeling of, they just didn't want to deal with it on a Saturday and we're there and we're yeah. open. So we did. And we, we saw the pet, we actually got a negative fecal in house. So that was interesting, but uh, it's those types of circumstances where they don't want to tell the owner no. So they give them the option of coming to us for something that they probably could have set appropriate expectation for. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. Okay, so so here's here's where I'm, I'm really tied up is I, I want this profession to work for everybody. Like I, I really do, like that's super important to me. And there is a nightmare scenario where like imagine uh, imagine that the, the, the pets are a stream of water and we're just pouring from this bucket and we're pouring down onto the general practice and the general practice is completely full and the water is now pouring over the top of the general practice and down into the emergency practice and now the emergency practice is overflowing and then the question then is where does that water go? Like the water that is now overflowing past the emergencies, where does that go? And I think in the nightmare catastrophic scenario in the minds of emergency vets, it's I never go home. I just stay here. I stay here through the day, continuing to work in triage, and I never get to go home. That's not that's not possible. And so I, I'm thinking a lot about about that. I think there are there are there are limits to what we can do. We can't magically make more veterinarians. I can't just be like, "Wow, here are ten thousand more emergency vets." Um, and a lot of people are like, "You can't? Are you sure? You should try at least try." <laughs> uh, there's nothing that we can do. 
we've got we've got what we want what we've got i believe that we have to move these cases around more i think that there's a lot of things that we can do and just like you and i were talking about before at some point you raise awareness and then you have to come up with action steps mm-hmm. and so awareness of boy we're all really really busy and there's big wait times mm-hmm. at a lot of emergency pro- uh, clinics let me also pause here for a second and say this is 100% regional in my experience there are some places where they're like no we got this we're fine and there's other places where they're they're not fine and so if it's not happening in your area that's great. Know that it's happening in other areas. So I, I like I like your idea a lot. That's actually not one that I had in my in my list of trying to set realistic expectations of what is an emergency and, and put some time and space there. We've had um my uh my family's had some some illness stuff recently. We've been sort of working through, and so we've been getting to deal with the joys of human medicine. Mm. And let me tell you, they do not tell you to rush in. They do not tell you that you should go. Like, you can have some serious problems and they'll be like, we'll see you a week from Wednesday. And that's it. Yes. And it's and they just, they say it to you with a straight face and it's normal and they're just like, that's just what it is. And it's amazing to me coming from vet medicine. I am like, are you serious? 10 days before we do the next thing? And they're like, yep, that's what it is. And I... Again, I do not want us to be human medicine. At the same time, you can't tell me that we cannot s- set some deadlines down the road sometimes and have them be okay. I think that there's, a, there's actually quite a few very practical things that we can do on both sides. So at our emergency clinic, we actually answer phones after hours for a lot of the general practices that sign up for our program. And those phones ring through to us if the owner you know, calls and says, in case of emergency, push this. And we will talk to the owner about what's going on. Sometimes they'll send us a picture or video and very much triage in that way. And so I've had quite a few that I've said, you know, I think you can watch for A, B, and C if that happens, come in. If not, you know, call your veterinarian in the morning. And so people feel heard, people feel seen, they feel calmed, right? But they're not rushing in for something that they could watch for a couple hours. And so I think that's one option that would help practices out a lot more if there could be some more sort of teletriage option. And, you know, the other thing is scheduling wise, I worked in GP and ER. I know that in GP, you want to make the money, you want to make sure your schedule's full, you have people there but there's been a lot of discussion of how to schedule, making sure that there is room open for those same day urgent, you know, emergency type cases and knowing again, what is a true emergency and what absolutely needs to come to us right away versus what can you, you know, triage and treat and then see how it does. And so both sides could do a little bit better with communication with, uh, I guess, supporting each other. Like I will never that dog that came over that had the parasite, uh, supposed parasite, I will never say you shouldn't have come. I will never throw, you know, a general right. practice mm-hmm. under sure. the bus, right? Oh, totally. No, no, no. no matter what. But on the flip side, I have GPs that'll say, you know, I can't believe that you guys, you know, didn't see them or you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And so I think that's a little bit of the issue too right now too, is like, what does the client tell them happened or didn't happen? And so I'm seeing a lot of practices, uh, general and emergency practices struggling because they feel like the cases aren't handled the way that they would handle them. And so then when you feel that judgment, you kind of feel like, why am I, why am I staying open? Why am I staying two hours after my shift to see your patients? If you're just going to throw me under the bus or you're going to question what I'm doing. So I don't know if you've seen that, but I think that's another component of this that makes it hard to work together. Oh, 100%. The Monday morning quarterback 
Like I've been that I've been that guy who like comes in on Monday and looks and like, oh, they went to the emergency clinic. Let's see what they did. And I've seen <laughs> I have seen vets get their reading glasses out. And I'm like, you uh-huh. don't read anything that closely. But they're like, let's see what happened here. And they look. And again, it's easy to look at someone else's work and be like, well, I wouldn't have done it that way or blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think that there's areas of this that are just fine and they're just human nature. I think that there's mm-hmm. always a bit of insecurity that people have when someone else sees their case, right? So it's like, um, you saw another doctor. And in my in my little fragile heart, it's like, <laughs> I bet they liked her more than you. I, sh- I, I wonder if she, I wonder if she thinks that what you did last time was not good. Does she have, does she have the records? Cause she, is she looking at what I have done in the past and been like, what is this idiot thinking? Um, I, I hope not, but I think we all have that little bit of insecurity as well. And so we want to look and see like, oh, did they do what I would have done or did they follow suit mm-hmm. with kind of what I said? So I, I really do think that that's a big part of it. There's, there's part of that that's normal. There's a part of that that's not normal and not helpful. And part of it is, I think if you're going to use an emergency clinic, which we all do and we all should, then you have to, one, uh, assume good intent, as, as you said mm-hmm. earlier, which is, I'm not there. I don't know what the pet owner said to them. I do not know what state the pet owner was in. I don't know what the pet looked like when they walked in the door. You know, I, I, can, I can look at where they are now and I can hear the story. But that may not have been what that vet was looking at at that moment. And so I always try to give grace and say, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And I've seen cases change. I've seen them where I, I see them, I'll see them in the morning and I'll say, hey, you know, if this doesn't get better, come back or blah, blah, blah. And they'll come back at the end of the day and I'll be like, oh my God, this is three hours difference or this is four hours difference. Uh, things can look radically different. And so there's that part of, of, giving, uh, of giving grace. But um, I, I do think a lot of us, um, and I'll tell you, this is a general part of our profession, are perfectionists. And mm-hmm. we, it needs to be done just right. And it needs to be done the way that we would do it. And I think that that is a constant struggle. I'm sure for emergency vets, they said, it's not, a, it's not a position I've held, but I, I know that there are perfectionists who get cases back and say, well, this is not how I would have done it. This is, this is wrong. And I go, part of, I think really part of being an, a happy as a veterinarian is it sucks that, that being a perfectionist is what helps you ace vet school and gets you into vet school and gets you through vet school. And then as soon as you're out, it's a burden. It's a crutch. It's a pain because being a perfectionist limits your ability to delegate. I think it makes it hard to leverage your technicians as much as you can leverage them. And it makes it hard to work with emergencies and support services and to refer and things like that. And people say, but if you're a perfectionist, that means you're doing it right. And then say, well, at some point when you're dealing with, with large numbers of cases, um, done is a uh, perfect is the enemy of done. And I would say if you're overwhelmed and you need to get the work done and you're, and you're trying to help as many patients as you can help, having such high demands that no one else is, is deemed worthy to help you, that is career limiting. And it is, it is, uh, it is going to be a long-term harm to your mental health. Definitely. And I work a lot with new grad veterinarians. Uh, we have a training program that's really intentional in our ER. And so that is one of the main things that I have to teach them is Number one, why is the pet there? What is the owner's concern? And let's actually focus on that, right? Like we, yes, this is a 15-year-old pet that probably has multiple disease processes going on, but why are they there? Let's figure out how we can help that problem in this moment. And then number two, you're not always going to know. So you're not going to know maybe why that dog vomited. It would be great to do full workups on every single pet, but that's just not the reality of, you know, people's finances sometimes or uh, your time constraints and what you have going on. So you have to kind of make your best guesses sometimes and you have to be comfortable with that. And 
knowing that if it's not better, it'll get rechecked. But I see that. And I don't know if you've seen that with the younger generation where they really want to know, they have to have an answer. They want to fix it right away. And that ability and that maturity kind of as you get in your career and sit back and say, you know, this is not actively dying. I think it's going to be stable for a little bit. Let me try A, B, and C. If that doesn't work, then they can reassess and recheck with their vet and move on to plan D is perfectly acceptable. Guys, I just want to jump in here real quick with one quick announcement. If you're a practice owner, the Uncharted Practice Owner Summit is coming. It is uh, me and my friend Stephanie Goss, the practice management guru. Uh, We are going to be leading that, heading that up. Uh, It is in person in Greenville, South Carolina. If you are a practice owner and you're like, man, I want to go to a thing that's only practice owners and work with other practice owners, head over to unchartedvet.com and check out what we're doing. Guys, that's it from me. Let's get back into the episode. There's two pieces of this, right? And I, I think you put your finger on it. First of all, let me just call out the fact that you and I are 100% having a deep conversation about spectrum of care, which is mm-hmm. what is the gold standard? And then what is Very a true. perfectly acceptable lower standard that works for this client in this moment with the resources that we have? Um, I, I think that that's, I like that terminology. I think that that's really important. But yeah, um, I think a lot of people have said only, only the best care, only the best care. And I'd say, look, buddy, when we're 30% shorthanded and we've got more work than we can do, we're going to provide a standard of care up to what our practice standard of care is. Like we need to decide what is our standard of care here and we can provide Mm -hmm. up to that. But beyond that, at some point you have to say, this is what we're going to do today. And then uh, we're going to, we're going to kick the can down the road. You know, I I think about it sometimes. um, I went to a chiropractor one time, a long time ago. And I said, it was a chiropractor, it was a physical therapist. I went to a physical therapist years ago. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, I have plantar fasciitis that's flared up in my foot. Also, I hurt my shoulder yesterday. And she looked at me and she said, which one do you want to work on today? And I thought that was fascinating because in vet medicine, we would have been like, we better get going fast because now we've got 100% more things to do. And it's just, just a simple thing of which one are we doing today? I go, wow. That's some boundary setting. Like, and it's smart because mm-hmm. we're gonna actually make some progress on one of the things. And so I, I don't think that we do that do that very well. I also completely agree with the education of, of veterinarians is um, it, we're taught gold standard of care and we're taught by specialists and we come out and then there's this I- idea of like, we have to get it right. We have to practice, you know, the top standard and we have to, ha- we have to get a diagnosis today. And I, I really mm-hmm. do think, um, I think two things that we don't learn in vet medicine are some and we don't learn in that school are how to how to break apart problems and and triage and and handle the first thing and then work on the recheck and then work on the recheck and again to give grace to the vet schools um they're working with specialists and they are teaching people the highest standard of care and if if you did that then rotations would be really frustrating because you would come in for two weeks and you would see someone's you know third visit and that's all that you would see it's not how you want to learn but I, i do think that that I do think that that is uh, that is a part of it, and then the other part I would say that that is a real struggle in vet school is how to leverage the staff because they mm-hmm. train you to be the doctor and to know all the things, and and I think it's I think it's a real challenge to say you are the doctor and you know all the things, and here's how you delegate those things away to other people, and uh, and let the, and and here's how you take help, and I think that those are things that right now we don't have a good training system for those things. I'd agree in it. Earlier when you said everyone's looking for veterinarians, honestly, give me two, three good vet techs and I can get a heck of a lot done. Like I would always love another veterinarian, but 
I will tell you that the team that I work with in the veterinary ER, those technicians, they do it all and they're incredible and they help me so much every day. And I, I would love other vets. I enjoy working with other vets, but man, give me more of them a hundred percent. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I, I am, I am right there with you. I've got this, um, I got this idea about, I've I've been thinking a lot about, about capacity in vet medicine. And so we've got, you know, we've got, we've got all these cases coming in and most of us are shorthanded. And I hear a lot of people who just say, I don't, I don't know how to get this done. I don't know how to hand these things off. I don't know how to turn people away. Um, we just finished up our, our GSD conference for Uncharted, which is, uh, how to get stuff done when you're shorthanded. And it was really, really, it was really, really great. And, and the big spoiler alert, big takeaway, one of the big takeaways really is you have to work on your business as well as in your business, meaning you have to step back and make systems and figure things out. At some point, you can't just flail around working hard. You have to stop and get organized and communicate with your people and say, well, what are you going to do? And how am I going to, and how do we work together? So that the sum of our labor is greater than just us individually, you know, flailing and make and working as hard as we can. And one of the big questions was, how do I make time for that when I'm so, so busy? And so mm-hmm. the idea that I've had recently, I've been kicking this around, and it's still sort of fetal, fetal idea, but I think one of the ways to really look at this stuff well is to strip the emotion out of it. And so imagine that veterinarians are widget makers, right? They're widget makers. And a, and a veterinarian, a widget maker, can make, say, 700 widgets in a day, right? That's what they can make. If you live in a community and they need 1,000 widgets a day and you can make 700 widgets a day, what are your options? What are you going to do? And I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. And unfortunately, what a lot of people say is, I will sacrifice my body, (laughs) mind, and soul and the people around me to bend reality and burn up our machines and our systems and make a thousand widgets. Like we will do it by strength of will. And I go, oh, really? What will you do the next day? And they're like, I'll do it again. And I'll do it the day after that. And I'm like, oh, that seems like a bad long-term strategy. And it mm-hmm. is. But you think about what it, what actually would work. You'd say, okay, honestly, uh, increasing capacity, getting getting technicians in there to help you make widgets, right? To delegate. If you can't get another widget maker, which is a veterinarian, get more people to help you make the widgets that you can delegate to and try to increase your efficiency. Another part is to say, um, we're going... <laughs> The, uh, the community's going to have to wait for their widgets because we can only make 700 a day, which means they're going to have to figure it out or they're going to have to get their widgets somewhere else. And, and vets go, oh my God, somewhere <laughs> else? And I'm like, look, man, it, this, is, like, this is hard choices. They need 1,000 widgets. You can make 700. Do you want mm-hmm. to have angry people yelling at you because they didn't get their widgets? Or do you want them to go somewhere else and get them? And my advice is, have them go somewhere else because you're selling every widget you can make. You're not hurting for customers. And, and I, I understand that people don't like this analogy probably in a lot of ways because it does strip out all the emotion. You're like, they're really adorable widgets and people really care about these widgets. And I go, that doesn't change the widget math, right? And honestly, mm-hmm. the fact that these widgets are family members, that does not change the math. You can make 700, they need 1,000. We're gonna have to figure this out. And that's probably gonna mean that they're gonna have to go somewhere else or you're, they're gonna have to come back down the road or we're gonna have to figure out who needs widgets the most and the rest of people are gonna have to wait. But I don't think that we want to make those calls. I, I, that's why I think this is a useful analogy because I think a lot of us, are all we can see are the pets. And we're like, there's no alternative but to just get the work done. And I go, that math doesn't work. It doesn't. And eventually you burn out and then nobody gets widgets, right? And that is right. a huge yeah. issue we're noticing. Like 
that's, that's ultimately your other option. And that's not one that any of us want to do. I am really big on virtual care right now. I mean, there are, mm-hmm. there are a number of com- companies that do um, vir- like that help with virtual, with virtual work. There's virtual CSR companies. Um, there's uh, guardian vets and Kronos and, and, and some companies like that, that their whole job is, Hey, we'll take over your phones at the end of the night, or we'll help provide virtual people for the front desk. And I'm like, man, I think that stuff is so valuable. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who like to do the virtual work and boy, we've got needs for it. But what you and I are talking about as far as setting expectations with the pet owners, doing teletriage when we say, is this an emergency or can this wait until tomorrow morning? I think that that stuff is really, really valuable. When you were saying, hey, I felt like we got sort of dumped on and this person said, well, you know, I don't want to deal with it on Saturday. And so I'm just going to send them straight to the emergency clinic. Um, I think... I love the idea of of having a service that takes your phone calls who can do triage. And the truth is I would I would rather see that patient myself than have them go to the emergency clinic. I would like to be the one to talk to them. Um, I don't want them to go wait for eight hours on a Saturday. I don't want them to pay emergency bills, which are totally justified. Um, but I, I would rather save them that money and that time and for me to be the one to work with them. We just need to fill out, figure out a, a triage system. And I say, you know, they turfed them. I think I'm assuming bad intent when I use that language and I don't mean it that way, but you, you get the point. I don't know. What are your thoughts on, 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 on virtual workers in vet medicine? I think that it serves a couple needs. I think one, it definitely helps with the triage and the overflow and overcapacity issue that we have. There's no doubt when I have a sick child, I call my pediatrician the nurse calls me back, we go over the symptoms and they tell me it can wait or to go to the ER. It's a very similar model that we deal with consistently. And I think one that is very fair in human medicine. The other component of it though, is it opens up another whole range of positions and jobs and uh, even increasing the financial means of support team members. And so a lot of these companies that provide those services are using technicians or people that are from veterinary medicine that want to work from home or want to continue to make money, you know, in this space or can do that along with the job that they already have. And so by opening up more positions in our profession uh, that help pet owners and also help the the hospitals, I think that's a win-win. And It's frustrating to me because I think ultimately the issue is trust, right? That a lot of the general practicing Mm -hmm. practices want to see their own people. They want to help their own people. They don't trust that things are going to be done their way. And that ultimately is hurting them Mm -hmm. in the long run. And pet owners, they do love their veterinarian, but in that moment, they don't care. They don't care who they talk to. They just want to talk to somebody so that they can sleep. And I always say, you know, if you're not going to be able to sleep, you come right in, but you also can watch for these things. And then you can see your vet in the morning. And 90% of people say, okay, I'm going to watch for those things. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for just talking to me. I just needed to talk to somebody. And so that tells me that that model works. And I think it helps both sides. Yeah, no, I, I, I do as well. It's funny. Um, I do, I do think, I do think part of it is, is trust. Um, I, I think uh, I think another part of it is is there's a scarcity mentality that veterinarians have that has been bred in, which is like this idea of like I'm at some point the pet owners are going to stop coming, and then I'm going to go out of business, and no one's going to want me to help, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna I'm gonna get buried under my student loans, and I'm going to live in a cardboard box in the forest, and that's where this all goes, and that's why I feel like they struggle so much to tell people just go to the emergency clinic or, and this is, this is controversial, but it's what I believe. 
tell them to go to another general practice. And people go, that's heresy. Like, that's the sacred cow, Andy. You are, you are <laughs> slaughtering the sacred cow. It's like, look, man, if you're slammed from dusk till dawn every day, who the heck do you think you're competing with? You know, like if you can't mm-hmm. see them, tell them to go down the road. Like the kindest thing that you can do is direct them to a place where they can get care. And um, they'll probably come back or maybe they won't. But trust me, like you, you're never going to go to a business because there's not enough work to do. If you're doing good quality medicine and you treat people well and you earn their trust and you're a good steward of their trust, you, my friend, will be as busy as you want to be for, as, for the rest of your career. You will. There is no risk you in, in sending people away. I agree. And as a pet owner, I would say that if I call and I'm worried and you just say, well, we don't have anything for you and there's just no options, right? Like it's a, in two weeks we can help you. And and there's no, there's nothing, there's no compassion. There's, but if I say, I am so, so sorry, you're dealing with this and we would love to be able to fit you in, but we just, we honestly can't, but I know there's other practices in the area that might have some availability. Why don't you call A, B and C? We'd be happy to send the records. They know, like, I'm going to come back to you because you cared enough yeah. to give me another option and to listen to me versus just drawing a hard line or sending me to the ER, like you said, where it costs a lot more if there's another option during the day. So I would come back to that practice personally because they actually cared. No, I, I completely agree. I, I think I think here's the thing, right? They called you for help. And if you say, we can't get you in, you're not helping them. If you say, we can't get you in, However, I do have some other practices that I can point you towards who may have availability, A, B, and C. And you give some sort of endorsement and sort of say, these are good practices um, and th- these are places to go. Um, I, th- then to me, you're, you are checking that helping box. The other thing is imagine, imagine it's a restaurant. Imagine that there is an awesome restaurant and you want to go there and you go there and they're like, we do not have any availability tonight. But there's a couple other restaurants in the area that I would recommend. Um, I'm still going back to that restaurant. Like the fact that that I can't get in there tonight makes me want to go there more, quite honestly. (laughs) But I do appreciate getting getting pointed some. I do appreciate getting pointed somewhere somewhere else. But I just I think that that's just a a shift in mentality. But you have to you Mm -hmm. have to really buy into the widget idea. This idea that I have capacity, and if people are demanding widgets beyond the capacity that I can make, they're just going to get mad and they're going to get angry and they're going to stomp off somewhere else. And I can. I can refer them somewhere else and hopefully keep that goodwill. But, um, but, at, but at some point, I really do feel like we're, we're holding on to the workload that we have as it drags us like an anchor down, down to the bottom. So that's it. Yeah. Well, Tanasia, thanks for talking through this with me. Um, any final thoughts, any uh, words of wisdom, anything else you want to put forward as far as GPs, ERs, collaboration, working together? I would say that I've been on both sides of things. I've been a general practicing vet. I'm an ER veterinarian now. And I definitely think this profession as a whole, if we all work together, trust each other and together set client expectations uh, appropriately while still showing people that we care about them and their pets, I think it'll be better for all of us in the long run. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think I think right now as a profession, we're all in this together. Uh, we we mm-hmm. need to be communicating with each other. Uh, we need to be passing the ball. We need to be assuming good intent. Uh, we need to think about how we can communicate with pet owners and set realistic expectations. I do not think that the business model for us anymore can be put your head down and work as hard as you can and collapse into bed at night. 
That is not mm-hmm. a sustainable business model. It does not work anymore. It needs to be think about working on your business. It's thinking about what your capacity is, how many widgets you can make comfortably and sustainably, and then making that many widgets and then uh, directing the overflow to the most productive place you can. And then also creating expectations with clients where they say, all right, well, I'm not getting in for a wellness appointment for a couple of weeks. Um, that's okay, man. Your dog's not going to burst into flames because it didn't get its uh, leptospirosis booster right on the day that it was due. That's it. We can also start to uh, reach out with our reminders earlier, knowing it's going to take people longer to get in and say, hey, go ahead and it may take a little while to get in. So I'm going to put this on your radar. All those things are, those are the types of thoughts we should be having is how do we pace ourselves for the marathon that we're in so that we don't burn Mm -hmm. our people out so we can keep going so we can keep helping the people who need it the most. So anyway, that's it. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Everybody have a wonderful rest of your week. Tanasia, thank you so much for being here. You can follow Dr. Tanasia Crocker on Instagram and TikTok and anywhere else I should mention. Uh, I'm on Facebook, kind of. You're, you're the Facebook. king of Facebook. <laughs> kind of, yeah, no, I got the whole Facebook thing just staked down. It's just, yeah, yeah you yeah. have to, you have to come. There's through, no room come for any of my, us. My <laughs> nope, no room for anybody else there. All right, guys, take it easy, everybody. And that's what we got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, if you did, you can leave me a nice review wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you're watching this on uh, on YouTube, hit that like and subscribe button, gang. Um, take care of yourselves. Be well. Be kind to each other. See you next week. Bye.